Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent. I'm Mark Langley, and today is Day 7. Today we are going to continue our discussion of the first article of the Creed. As we, as we remember, there are 12 articles in the Creed, and uh, the first article is, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. Now, we're just taking uh, each word one at a time and reflecting upon it as the Catechism advises us. We've talked a little bit about the word credo, I believe, and in day six we talked about the words in one God. And today we are going to continue uh, with and finish that discussion about the words in unum deum, in one God, um, by reading uh, several more paragraphs in the Catechism of the Council of Trent, but we will also look at a few references um, that the Catechism makes to uh, some passages from the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas concerning the oneness of God and also concerning the relative um, excellence of the knowledge that we have by faith as compared to the knowledge we have through reason alone. So let us begin from where we left off. Um, the passage we're reading today has the subheading that the knowledge of God obtained through faith is more certain. And so we read, These great and sublime truths regarding the nature of God, which are in full accord with the scripture, the philosophers were able to learn from an investigation of God's works. But even here we see the necessity of divine revelation if we reflect that not only does faith, as we have already observed, make known clearly and at once to the rude and unlettered those truths which only the learned could discover, and that by long study, but also that the knowledge obtained through faith is much more certain and more secure against error than if it were the result of philosophical inquiry. And so, again, we are um, sort of recapitulating the previous several paragraphs in which the Catechism of the Council of Trent gives testimony to the fact that a great deal about God can be known through reason alone, and, and many philosophers of old, uh, Xenophanes, Her um, Heraclitus, um, and Anaxagoras, Plato, Aristotle, um, all of these philosophers uh, did learn something about God. Uh, but the Catechism reminds us that the things we can learn about God through reason alone come by a long and laborious study. Um, so, um, in contrast, Scripture provides us, uh, Revelation provides us with the knowledge about God, and it does so in, a, in an excellent way, which is even more certain than the knowledge that we have through reason alone. Um, and so, let's read another paragraph and then talk about this assertion that the Catechism is making more fully. In the next subheading, we have, Knowledge of God obtained through faith is more ample and exalted. But how much more exalted must not that knowledge of the deity be considered, which cannot be acquired in common by all from the contemplation of nature, but is peculiar to those who are illumined by the light of faith? This knowledge is contained in the articles of the Creed, which disclose to us the unity of the divine essence and the distinction of three persons, and show also that God himself is the ultimate end of our being, from whom we are to expect the enjoyment of the eternal happiness of heaven, according to the words of St. Paul. 
God is a rewarder of them that seek him. How great are these rewards, and whether they are such that human knowledge could aspire to their attainment, we learn from these words of Isaiah uttered long before those of the apostle. From the beginning of the world they have not heard, nor perceived with the ears, the eye hath not seen besides thee, O God, what things thou hast prepared for them that wait for thee. And so let's just talk about that a little bit more. Uh, why precisely is it that the knowledge we have of God through faith is more certain than the knowledge we have uh, through reason alone? And in our footnotes in the Catechism of the Council of Trent, we see um, a footnote there on, in my edition, it's page 19, it says, for a comparison of faith and reason, see the Summa Theologica, um, part 1, question 12, article 13. So, um, so I took a look at that article, and um, this is a, question 12 is about how God is known by us, and indeed there are many articles, there are 13 articles, so this is the last article in that question, question 13. And the title of the article is Whether by Grace a Higher Knowledge of God Can Be Obtained Than by Natural Reason. And, of course, St. Thomas um, affirms that, yes, the knowledge that we have of God uh, by through grace, by faith, is in fact higher than the knowledge uh, that we can obtain about God through reason. He gives some reasons, um, and so I'm going to read a little bit from that article. St. Thomas says that, he says, I answer that we have a more perfect knowledge of God by grace than by natural reason, which is proved thus. The knowledge which we have by natural reason contains two things, images derived from the sensible objects, and the natural intelligible light enabling us to abstract from them intelligible conceptions. Uh, St. Thomas then goes on to explain that through revelation and through grace, uh, the intellect's natural light can be strengthened by the infusion of gratuitous light, uh, the light of grace. And he also says that sometimes the images in the human imagination um, can be divinely for formed by the one who has faith, uh, so as to express divine things better than those uh, do which we receive from sensible objects. So uh, what he's talking about there is the fact that ordinarily we um, use our imaginations um, as a tool in knowing things, and we form images in our mind from the, th from the objects of sense. Um, and so therefore... The knowledge we have of those things is sort of limited by the fact that the images we have are from the things we sense, and the things we sense are limited, and therefore the knowledge we have from sense um, is also limited in that way. But St. Thomas is saying that the um, through faith, the images that we receive through uh, revelation can be um, can transcend the images that we receive just from the senses. Um, and so therefore, the knowledge we gain from those 
images can, will be uh, higher than the knowledge we gain simply from sense images. So that's, um, that's a sort of a complex notion there, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that's one of the reasons why the knowledge we have from faith is higher than the knowledge we have from reason alone. Um, but there is a really interesting reply to the third objection in this article that I think um, is illuminating. And I'm going to read it here. He says, he says, faith is a kind of knowledge in as much as the intellect is determined by faith to some knowable object. But this determination to one object does not proceed from the vision of the believer, but from the vision of him who is believed. Thus, as far as faith falls short of vision, it falls short of the knowledge which belongs to science. For science determines the intellect to one object by the vision and understanding of first principles. And so what I think St. Thomas is saying, in part at least, is that um, our um, human science, the knowledge that we have from that, it focuses our mind on something based on the based on our own vision but faith focuses our mind on on some truth uh, because uh, from of the vision of the one in whom we believe so that's just kind of an interesting little comparison of human reason and divine faith uh, albeit um, this is a this is a difficult article uh, nonetheless we keep on saying that the knowledge that we have from faith is higher than the knowledge we have from human reason. And um, uh, that's something that deserves more study, and we need to, we need to uh, read this whole question more fully to, to understand everything that's being said there. Nonetheless, uh, there we have that. Um, so let's, let's continue with um, one more paragraph about the unity of nature in God and then talk about some of the reasons St. Thomas gives in the Summa for why God is one. Uh, because we're talking about, um, you know, I believe in one God. And so we want to talk about, give, give some reasons for uh, why we hold that God is one. So the Catechism of the Council of Trent continues, From what is said, it must also be confessed that there is but one God, not many gods. For we attribute to God supreme goodness and infinite perfection, and it is impossible that what is supreme and most perfect could be common to many. If a being lack anything that constitutes supreme perfection, it is therefore imperfect and cannot have the nature of God. The unity of God is also, is also proved from many passages of sacred scripture. It is written, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Again, the Lord commands, Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. And further, he often admonishes us by the prophet, I am the first and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. The apostle also openly declares, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It should not, however, excite our surprise if the sacred scriptures sometimes give the, gives the name of God to creatures, for when they call the prophets and judges gods, they do not speak according to the manner of the Gentiles, who in their folly and impiety formed to themselves many gods, but express by a manner of speaking then in use 
some eminent, some eminent quality or function conferred on such persons by the gift of God. And so the Catechism tells us that when we read passages in scriptures that might sometimes refer to um, other gods um, or even refer to um, men as gods, uh, the Catechism is um, telling us that uh, we're not to, um, we, we are, we're to interpret those words according to a manner of speaking um, in use at the time where um, we might um, refer, uh, call, a, call a creature a god because of some eminent quality or function um, conferred by God himself. But right now, let's uh, return to this uh, question about the oneness of God. Um, when we say, credo in unum deum, I believe in one God, what are some reasons um, that we, whereby we might understand that God is one? And so here, um, again, through a footnote in the Catechism, we're referred to Question 11, Article 3 in the Summa Theologica. This again is in the Prima Pars, the first part. Um, and the question is whether God is one. And the, um, in the body of the article, after the objection, St. Thomas Aquinas gives three reasons uh, whereby we can know that God is one. And uh, let's just go through those reasons quickly. Um, I, I like the third reason the most, but the first two reasons in short order here, he, St. Thomas says, I answer that it can be shown from these, these three sources that God is one, first from his simplicity. For it is manifest that the reason why any singular thing is this particular thing is because it cannot be communicated to many, since that whereby Socrates is a man can be communicated to many, whereas what makes him this particular man is only communicable to one. And so what St. Thomas Aquinas is saying there is that um, there are many human beings, there are many men, and therefore there is some nature that is communicable, is, um, is able to be, um, uh, the human nature is able to exist in many, so there are many um, millions and even billions of human beings. But nonetheless, St. Thomas says, each individual person like Socrates is a one, and that which makes Socrates one is not able to be communicated to any other. So there's only one Socrates, there's only one, uh, um, one individual, each with a name. And Therefore, there is a sort of an incommunicable um, something that makes the individual one. And, and so St. Thomas is explaining in this first reason that that's the way we need to think about God's oneness. It's God is, is his own nature. God is his nature. And therefore, he's entirely simple. And in that simplicity, that cannot be communicated to any other just as what makes Socrates Socrates cannot be communicated to any other. And so, therefore, God is one. There's only one God. 
Um, and so that's sort of a quick summary of his first reason. The second reason, he says, Secondly, this is proved from the infinity of his perfection, for it was shown above that God comprehends in himself the whole perfection of being. Um, earlier in the Summa, St. Thomas had proved that God contains in himself the perfections of all things. And um, I think he looks at the fact that everything that we see around us, all the perfections we see around us, um, are, are caused perfections. They come from something. And he says, well, the, the first cause of things must in some way be accountable for all of the perfections we see in things. And so, so therefore, the first cause must contain in itself every perfection that we see. And I believe he even says that, that first cause must contain all perfections in a super eminent way. Um, but anyway, that, that was earlier in the Summa. Uh, so he uses that as a premise in this argument that since God contains in himself the whole perfection of being, he continues, if then many gods existed, they would necessarily differ from each other. Um, if we have many gods, uh, we would have to say, well, here's a god here and here's a god there, and uh, therefore they differ from one another. Um, there's something by which we differentiate them. Otherwise, how would we know that there's more than one God? So if there are, if there are many gods, it must be because of some difference that they have among themselves. And so St. Thomas continues, something therefore would belong to one which did not belong to another. And if this were a privation, one of them would not be absolutely perfect. But if a perfection, one of them would be without it. So St. Thomas is saying, whatever that difference is, whereby there are multiple gods, one god would not have something that another god had, namely that by which we differentiated them. And therefore, one god would be lacking and therefore would not have all of the perfections that we said he had. So therefore, St. Thomas concludes, it is impossible for many gods to exist and he points out that, hence also the ancient philosophers, constrained as it were by truth, when they asserted an infinite principle, asserted likewise that there was only one sure, one such principle. So those are both, those first two reasons are um, how he starts off by proving the uh, unicity of God. Um, the third reason, though, as I said before, I like this one a lot. Um, he says, thirdly, this is shown namely the unity of God, whether God is one, is shown from the unity of the world. For all things that exist are seen to be ordered to each other, since some serve others. But things that are diverse do not harmonize in the same order unless they are ordered thereto by one. For many are reduced into one order by one better than... For many are reduced into one order by one better than by many because one is the per se cause of one, and many are only the accidental cause of one, in so, in so much as they are in some way one. Since therefore what is first is most perfect and is so per se and not accidentally, it must be that the first which reduces all into one order should be only one, and this one is God. And so that's, I'm reading kind of quickly there, but I think what he's saying in that third proof is that 
anyone who studies science, any anyone who studies natural science and the and the world, and the um, and everything around us, um, begins to be more and more convinced that there's a an order in the world that we see around us. Um, there appears to be um, a, a serving of a mutual serving of um, one another that we see in natural things. There's a there's a whole you know food chain and there are, and the and the planets and the um, and everything we see around us appears to be ordered. And uh, I like to tell my students that uh, this is one of the reasons why we use the word universe. Um, the word universe is um, designating a, a unity that um, everyone um, who talks about a universe sees a oneness. There's a, there's an, there's a well-ordered whole. Um, on that note, uh, the Greek word for universe is cosmos. And the word cosmos uh, means a beautiful order. Um, and so we, we get the word cosmetic from cosmos, and sort of an order, a beautiful order. And uh, so both the Latin term universe and the Greek term both, um, both signify an ordered whole. So anyone who's looked at the world um, sees not a jumbled heap or a random order, but um, um, it seems that science more and more uh, verifies this idea that we do, in fact, have a, an ordered whole. So what does this have to do with the argument? Uh, well, uh, St. Thomas points out that the cause of an ordered whole must be something one. Uh, one always... Uh, goes before division or multiplicity. Uh, for example, if you um, anyone who learns how to count starts with one, and then we count, and then we we get a whole multitude of numbers, but they're all based on one. And so that's an old philosophical principle that that um, oneness and one is the is precedes or is prior to a multitude or a multiplicity. And so St. Thomas says anyone who looks at the universe um, can see that that um, must, um, we see, when we look at the universe, we see a multiplicity that is ordered. It's an ordered multiplicity. And um, that must stem from a, a one thing, namely a one God. So um, all three of those arguments take some time to digest and mull over and to read again and again um, everything in the everything in the Summa um, and in these in this marvelous catechism are things that we need to read again and again in order to understand more fully uh, we need to revisit all of these things and try to understand them more and more um, right now we're just offering some brief um, kind of suggesting what the arguments might be uh, without uh, really, really discussing them at great length. And so, again, um, I think that that's probably enough uh, to t think about and in anyone's reading of the Catechism. Um, we, shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't try to read too much um, 
or I tell my students that you can sort of get a uh, intellectual indigestion if you read too much too fast. Uh, so the next time that we discuss, we'll be talking about um, the word Father when it says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. So we'll talk about the notion of fatherhood and God next time on uh, the next time we meet. So thank you for joining me in this episode of Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. Uh, I look forward to next time as and when we talk about the word Father. I'm Mark Langley, and may God bless us all. Um, may he grant us an increase of faith through our shared exploration of this marvelous catechism.